0: Welcome to Behind the Fiction, the Book Lovers Podcast, where we deliver interviews, insights, and ideas to passionate book lovers who want to stay in the stories they love. I'm Alexa Larberg, and this is episode 24 for October 17th, 2019. And today's guests are Eric Black and Greg Trimblay. Today's episode is All Things Audiobook, Opus X Audiobook, to be exact. Greg and Eric are the producer and the narrator for the Opus X audiobook. Guys, all of them, all of the audiobooks, they're the people. This is awesome. You don't want to miss it. We learn about what it's like to be a narrator for audiobooks. Greg even has a studio inside of his house. Who would have known? Not me. Super interesting. But we also learn what it looks like from the files to go from raw files to produced files, how they manage a tight schedule for production, and all things audiobook. Really interesting. You don't want to miss this show. Make sure you don't miss this show or any other show by subscribing to both our podcast and our YouTube channel. Now, let's get to the show.
1: Uh, welcome back to behind the fiction uh, my name is campbell and i'm here with uh, eric black and greg tremblay the production and narrator team for the opus x series that's uh, coming out the first book is launching on november 1st yeah, uh, eric is down. eric is a uh, the the lead audio engineer for dreamscape media he's also the producer of of the opus x audiobooks uh, Eric is the narrator. And Greg's so let's, narrator. I'm sorry, Greg, Greg is the narrator. So let's, let's start out with, uh, with you, Eric. Can you sort of explain what the process is for selecting the talent for a, for a, a given project?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So when, um, when I first receive a copy of the, the, uh, the book, I'm sitting down and trying to read as much of it as possible. Usually at a minimum is uh, 10%. Uh, rarely would I get to read the entire thing, almost never, just because of time constraints. But um, usually I find that about 10% is a good gauge to to kind of figure out what's going on, who the characters are. Um, there's some online tools as well, good reads, or even just a basic Amazon description often uh, will give us a lot of great clues. Um, and then some keyword searches that kind of further dive in and catch anything we lost, any any crazy, you know, main character has a Jamaican accent is revealed on the last page or something like that. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, there's (laughs) sort of spending, just spending a a little while with it. And then from there going to, uh, the pool of narrators that we've both worked with or want to work with, or sometimes even digging even deeper and trying to find people maybe that have had success in the, the genre or with, even even sometimes with the same author, we might be able to find other books they've done.
1: How far um, in advance? In right how far in advance do you normally? How much time do you normally have to select the talent um, and, and hit production goals?
2: Yeah, so I love to have at least a few months um, to 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 lock that in, but in in reality especially for dreamscape. A lot of what we are acquiring it are things that maybe the publisher held on to for a while and then decided they didn't, they weren't going to be able to produce the audiobook. Mm-hmm. So some of our best content comes to us, um, with a very short window. So I'm asking a lot of favors of, of narrators often or just, can you guys, can you, can you squeeze in a 10 hour book, you know, in the next three weeks? Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, like three months is, is, is usually where, we'll, where, where we end up um, with most of the stuff.
1: Okay. And, and Greg, from your standpoint, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit with Eric about what the process is like for him to select a talent. What's it like for you um, on your end to receive the communication from the, the producer? How do, how do you, do you submit auditions? Is there some other process that you go through?
3: Sure. Yeah, We often will get a note from the producers uh, or the reps when they have a, a new project up that's frequently going to ask us to do a short audition. They'll usually narrow things down to maybe five of us that they know would be a good fit. They'll get a short piece from us, maybe three to five minutes, not so much that, that you have to wade through. And then that will go off either to them for their choice or sometimes you know there'll they'll be author approval or the agent's approval. Sometimes we actually are the either the author or the Publishers' agent know that they want us for a particular project, or someone's requested us, and then it's usually just a matter of discussing, you know, what the lead times look like and and how the deliveries are going to go for that.
1: So you mentioned lead times and deliveries, and that all gets back to schedules. How sure. far in advance are are you typically scheduling?
3: I usually book out at least a quarter. Um, you know, I, I right now I'm actually booking in February for a lot of new projects. And I, I break my work down a little bit into only filling about 80% of my absolute capacity in a given week. And that's that's for multiple reasons. One, so that I have the ability to fit in a project when it comes along if it is something that's really delightful. And, uh, and I do that more often than not. But it also means that if I wind up with the flu, I can shove things around, and mm-hmm. uh, I, really, I really, really hate having to go to a, to a client and say, I'm not, I'm not going to make our delivery goal. I would what? much rather be able to make it with a little extra scrambling on my end and, and, and be able to deliver.
1: I mean, you mentioned having the flu. I, th- I think of myself or, or Eric. If one of us got the flu, we might be sick for a couple of days, and then we come back to work. I mean, you've got a voice you've got to worry about. If your voice changes with a cold or a flu and you're halfway through a book, what do you do? You,
3: to me, you need to talk with your clients, you need to set expectations that are realistic, and you need to properly wait. Um, you can only rush a voice so much. And particularly if you have something like laryngitis or bronchitis, that's you're, you've sprained a muscle. You cannot heal a muscle any faster than it's gonna heal no matter how much you want it to. And it, it doesn't matter what you drink or what you gargle or what you breathe. It takes rest, so it's very much a, an enormous amount of uh, caretaking preparation and um, and if you need to, you need to take the time and that's hard and sometimes you will leave people in a bind on that one but if you if you do that, I think that is the responsible way to behave uh, as a professional and I, I think that your clients understand that and respond better than you delivering something that is obviously You kind of getting in there and trying to do the voices because (laughs) it's no problem. I sound the same as I did yesterday. (laughs) Exactly. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't.
2: Yeah, and absolutely from my viewpoint too. That's I we if we're doing our job right, you know, built in a little bit of a buffer too for on scene circumstances. So I would much rather wait a few days past uh, you know, past the, the original deadline. To not have a narrator sound like uh, yeah. a completely well, different person, you know,
1: yes, yes, so Eric, how often do you do you get projects where you know up front that it's going to be twelve books and all twelve books haven't been written yet? you can 't even look at a script
2: <laughs> uh, the that comes to mind one. <laughs> <laughs> And that would be this one, right? <laughs> no, yeah. uh, usually, um, usually I, do, I don't. You know, we know if it's the first in a series, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we don't know. Is, it, is one going to, are they going to do two a year? Are they going to do one a year? Are they going to do one a month? You know, it's uh, it's usually sort of unknown.
1: So how did that complicate the process? I want, to, I want to hear the answer from both of you. How did that complicate the process for you in terms of selecting the talent and scheduling everything? Because we've got a fairly rigid schedule. Every six weeks, there's a new book coming out in the Opus X series uh, that had to be a little daunting.
2: Well, you know, I would <laughs> I guess for me, the hard part is, is, is over. Right. Um kind of finding finding Greg. <laughs> and uh, you know, that 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 was really the hard part. Um from here it's just kind of getting things through is you know, making sure that we have scripts in time, that prep can be done um properly and getting the word counts to determine how long it's going to be, um, getting editors and proofers and everything lined up. And that's kind of the easy part of it. Um so I would say it doesn't, you know, in in a way I appreciate series uh, when, when a book comes across my, you know, my desk and I, and I see it's book five in in a series and we did the other five with this specific narrator who's had great reviews.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm fairly certain unless the author did something crazy for the fifth book, you know, that we're going to go right back to, to that same narrator.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, Makes and you
2: sense. know
3: you you know you have a, an understanding w- worked in um you know it's, of course it's it's delightful as a talent to come back to uh to come back to a property that you've already been working in, you know it's it's a little like visiting the, some old friends again. It's actually this is probably this is probably going to be the series with the most um, bam 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 that I think I've ever worked on. Most of the series that I tend to work on, and I vastly work on series are anywhere from six to 18 months between books sometimes. Mm. Um, And 18 is always interesting. And I, I generally at that point, I, I um, download and listen to the book again, because I'm like, okay, I have, I have, I keep, you know, I, I keep voice files for books so that I can go back and refer to character voices. But at a certain point that only does so much. And you don't remember the characters viscerally as well anymore. Um, Getting this series was definitely looking at an email from Eric and going, okay, um, well, let's look at that calendar. I, I was um, maybe a year or so ago, I was on a podcast and, and the, the host said, "Now, if, if I'm right, you did 53 audiobooks last year? I was like, Yeah. I said, how? I said, Google Calendar. I, was, <laughs> I, I credit that largely with how I manage that. Every, everything is, is very tightly scheduled in Google Calendar, including uh, Breathing Room. So, you know, I I know exactly what I've got and how much I can cheat it and when there is no further bending before the straw breaks.
1: Okay and you you mentioned breathing room I'm just going to take the second half of that room people can see if you're if you're watching the video portion of this and if you're not you can check it out Greg is in a, uh, in, a in a studio in his house and this is a yep. change in the uh, in the audiobook industry over the course of the last several years where talent are building studios in their own homes that are s- sound muffling you you see all the the material that he's got on the walls, so there's no echo the sound from his end is nearly perfect that 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 you can hear and you can hear the difference between him speaking and Eric and I speaking. so what was the process for you putting that together and and when did you do it?
3: Sure uh, it was about five years ago um, yeah, I got started doing this in two thousand and thirteen and um Shortly after I got started, I, I, I knew that I needed, I needed a, a real space. And of course, the technology changes make perfect sense for particularly the, the mid-sized production houses like Dreamscape, like you know Blackstone and, uh, and Dion, because there's no there's no inherent advantage to insisting that all of your all of your voice acting's come to your central place and, and do it from there. If you you know you still have to to pay your engineers, you still have to to work through it all. So if you have narrators who can self-direct successfully, who have the ability to produce sound that meets your technical specs and who can interact remotely, then that, that makes the most financial sense. You get to knock out a little bit of, well, we had to, we keep this 700 square feet for three little studios and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to, to do that as much. So, you know, it, it, it makes perfect sense to me that this is a thing that, that is the way that this works now. Um, and of course, the technology changed a lot. We've got much better broadband capability. That's you know, I mean, I have a um, you know a thousand one hundred uh, asynchronous connection at the house, so that I can actually upload things and not wait a gazillion hours for them. But I, I am relatively handy anyway. This was a small um, a small room, large closet in my house, which I tore all the way down to the studs and um, built up with decoupled drywall layers and. Um, Mass-loaded vinyl and sound insulative insulation, and then acoustic panels, and then acoustic foam and bass traps, and all of the things that that allow it to be a um, you know for spoken word. I I don't think there's a such a thing as too dead a space for spoken word. It's certainly that's not the case with musical recording. But if you're going to just record a voice, it it really should go this far and die. You know you don't we don't need. You can put echo in if you want it for something, but it's hard to take it back out so so that's where it is so i've been i've been doing uh, what am i at 270 some odd books i think from
1: here now all so, in all in all in that room all so in, all in this little room so what's a, what's a typical day for you what's how much time in a, in a given day do you spend in that little room
3: yeah i record i've discovered that my my optimal performance comes if i record in 2 hour blocks um, and take a rather profound break between the the, the blocks. So I get up, um, I, I come to work at around eight. I usually do some administrative stuff until nine or 9.30. And then I try to work 9.30 to eleven thirty, twelve thirty to 2.30, and 3.30 to 5.30. And during those two midday breaks, I get the heck out of the booth. I stretch, I do other things. And on that schedule, um, I've discovered that my production rate is, is usually about 2 to 1.5. So I usually do... An hour to an hour and fifteen to an hour and twenty-five minutes of finished audio per two-hour block, um, and that gets me three and a half to four hours of finished audio a day without without any real difficulty. And um, you know, if I need to push it, I can tune to turn that up a little bit, and I can hit four and a half in a day of finished hours of audio. And that is pretty much where.
1: That's a lot.
3: It's is too much. I can only do that for a couple of days before you you, you can only. You can only prep a muscle to do so much work. You know, you can't run marathons every day.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, so I run cross country every day, but not a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you you send the you send the files to Eric when at when the book is finished, or are you sending them as you go along? Depends on it.
3: Depends on the project. Uh, for the most part, I usually send them as one fell swoop when they're all done. If we're working on really tight deadlines, you know, if it's something that came and it's and it's due like now then I'll usually do a daily upload or, or dump them to somewhere where we can all get to the files and then I ship them out. Um, you know, and I just, I tag them as raw files when I render them out of my audio workstation so that they're, they're easily
2: identifiable.
1: Okay. And Eric, you have been an engineer for most of your professional life. So what happens on your end when you get these files?
2: So yeah, the first step, um, when they come in, we'll assign them to an editor uh, who's also proofing, uh, they're following along with the book. They are basically, they start at the beginning, fix all the pauses, any awkward breaths or, you know, mouth noise and clicks are being, um, taken care of. Um, and as they're going along, they're generating a pickup list, which are items that need to be rerecorded.
1: Um, so what, what <clears> would cause, there. what would cause that? Basically, I say something that's not on the page.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, basically. Misreads, mispronunciations are, are a big deal. Um, you know, And in some books that's more of an issue than others, but uh, uh, our editors are checking for all that. Um, and we strive for 100% to what is written in that book um what do you what do, you do the, in a
1: situation where there's there's an obvious error in the book
2: oh in the book like a typo yeah if, if it's something that that is pretty obvious we will just make the correction uh, often the narrator is the one who's who's catching this
1: okay um, greg's I, nodding i don't know if you could see him there yeah you probably can't
2: but i
3: yeah uh,
1: yeah i um yeah
3: i don't, yeah i i tend to whenever i'm recording for anybody i keep a I keep a, an Excel spreadsheet that has a selection of, um, of notes about the text and then a selection of my pronunciation research so that if I had to look up something like Cungulid um, Woolwich in you know Welsh, I can, I can link the proof or editor to where I found that so that they can at least look at it and go, okay, yeah. And legitimately, a couple of times I've linked them to something and they've said, well, that's great. If you'd said what you said that you were supposed to say, that would have been <laughs> even better. And I went, oh. Darn it! Um, But yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a uh, a a book where the text made it to to release without a single typo in it. I mean, it's just that's so kind of surprising, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, but just it doesn't matter how many times and how many people you parse through it, things will get missed. So you know, I keep a note if I find a typo. um, I I know where it was, what it was, and how I chose to handle it, and then let the 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 editors deal with that. And if they if they disagree, if they come back and say, no, I th- think that was supposed to be there for, for stylistic purposes, then it's a, it's a pickup. We'll, we'll fix it. You know, we'll record it again, and they can put it back.
1: So, Eric, what's, what's the, uh, the typical time frame between when you get the, f- the final audio from Greg, and so you've got the proofing process, and then there's the pickups, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. How long does it take to go from the initial, the initial files to the final files?
2: So we count on 2 weeks and that's what most editors like um you know it's not that they jump right on it necessarily all the time but that kind of 2 weeks is a comfortable amount of time for them to get it edit and then another round of uh, you know proofing uh we pushed it you know again there's sort of a buffer built in there 2 weeks is more than is needed mm-hmm. on most titles especially if you have a like like if you have a, um, a narrator like Greg who's done a lot of the homework and is showing you the homework and you can follow, you know, you don't, you're not looking up all these pronunciations on your own. That's definitely speeds up the process. So there are times when, um, when we've had to, again, kind of call in that favor and go, Hey, uh, you think you can turn this around in five days if, if we really need to, you know, and they'll have, we'll get the narrator lined up and they're ready to go when the pickups are in, they re you know, get their, um, uh, Their portion re-recorded and we snap them back in and um so we can move faster but we like to do two weeks is is pretty standard uh, for us to get that all completed
1: okay and now we have some finished audio from obsidian detective that we're going to play now and for those of you scoring at home this is actually the beginning of chapter 15 i believe and it's one of the early meetings maybe the earliest meeting between Eric, the character in the book, and uh, and Gia. So let's roll that right now. Who
3: are you? Gia demanded. You're not with my enforcement zone. I don't recognize you. That's because I just started working tonight. Detective Eric Blackwell, Enforcement Zone 122. The gray-haired cop strolled over to the flitter. He opened the door and John fell out with a groan. The cop knelt and pulled out a bright white strip from a pocket, a binding tie. He set his rifle down and shoved John's wrists together before slapping the tie down. It grew in an instant and wrapped around the drunk's wrists. Gia let out a strangled laugh. You're in my enforcement zone? Yes. Like I said, I just started. Eric tapped his PNIU. This is Detective Eric Blackwell requesting an ambulance for- He glanced at the downed Cyrus. Two suspects with minor injuries Send along a patrol car too. The primary situation's been handled, but there's some cleanup for them to do. He looked back at her with a slight grin. You're lucky I showed up when I did. Listen, Detective Blackwell, Gia began. I don't know what or where you transferred from, but what you did was totally unacceptable. Eric shook his head. Local department regulations clearly state that all officers are allowed to discharge weapons, up to and including lethal discharge, in defense of any imminent threats to the lives of themselves, other officers, or citizens. I'd say getting plowed into by a drunk definitely counts as an imminent threat. He grabbed his rifle and stared down at the unconscious John before moving over to Cyrus and slapping on a binding tie on the downed man. She pointed around them. You could have killed someone, Gia suggested. Could have? Sure. But I didn't, now did I? Eric walked back toward her. Trust me, I wasn't using armor-piercing bullets. I knew if I hit the emitters or the main vehicle body, the bullets wouldn't go anywhere else. I've taken down a vehicle or 50 in my time. Gia scoffed. You hit those things because you got lucky. Lucky? Eric shook his head and patted his gun. You know what this is? Gia shrugged. Overkill? A symbol of your enormous ego? A desire to produce something you believe flatters you? Her eyes glanced down, an unflattering smile on her face as she eyed him back. Should I go on? Eric snickered. I like that, but no, it's a TR-7 quad, four selectable barrels. He stroked the weapon like a pet. If I wanted to kill someone, I would flip this to four-barrel mode and open up, draining the mags in seconds. The bullets would have shredded that car like it was a leaf in a tornado. He nodded at the vehicle or I could have just fired several times into the driver. Instead, I took out the emitters and engine to ground the vehicle. He grunted. Not even the fool who was trying to kill you will die. No, trust me. I'm a big believer in luck, but this time Lady Luck was nowhere around. He patted his chest. This was all me. Gia tucked her stun pistol
1: back into her purse. Oh, Greg, do you remember that scene at all? Yeah, yeah.
3: That's um yeah, that the the that initial um squaring off and um you know, you you can almost see them both fluffing their feathers and kind of doing the the there's threat display going on, you know. There's a little like <laughs> <you know? laughs> who are you, who are you, who are you, you know? Um it's um it's classic in a lot of ways too, actually. You know it 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 reminded me a little bit of um you know some some almost uh, indiana jones and and 007 kind of moments where the the two competent operators meet each other in the field and there's a little bit of both of them thinking that, that they're obviously the most competent of the the people on scene mm
1: mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
3: yeah
1: so w- Greg, when you, first, when you first read the material, you get a lot of things. And you have, for people that aren't familiar with your work, you have a great range, everywhere from hardcore Thank science you. fiction to Disney bedtime stories. Um, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's a Romance, great range there. Fiction, yeah. So you get material, and and as a part of the prepping the material, you go through and you read it all. So what were your initial thoughts when you read Obsidian Detective?
3: Um. You know, I, I'm trying to remember what I, I I described it to to one of my partners. It's like you know, it was sort of um, Blade Runner meets Dashiell Hammett. You know, there's there's a there's this sort of delightful PI feeling, you know, but it's also the cop procedural. But it's obviously that that same uh, almost baroque sci-fi feel. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the the set dressing that uh, that David Lynch. Um, you know, has does with some of his, you know, it reminds me of the, the, the Dune um, adaptation that, you know, that, that opulence, that, that really, um, you know, decadent and decadent feeling uh, society aspects. So it was, um, you know, it was obvious that it was, it was a cop buddy sci-fi, um, you know, you um, know, tension of in in a a number of levels you know there were there was a there was an age gap tension there was a uh, society class level tension there was a gender tension there was an experience you know so there were all these different strands that were pulling and and stretching each other and it was going to be you know I I could tell there were there were going to be some really great uh, dialogue especially interactions between people so which was absolutely true and I love you know there's there's great characters in there that you're gonna that, that you'll sort of recognize the archetypes from mm-hmm. from great cop shows and and great you know the the, the long suffering detective or a uh, um, captain and the you know the other detectives and the the way that it kind of plays out. Um, so it was it was neat. You know, I, I I really like seeing genres blend. You know, and and this is one of those. It's it's sci-fi, but it's a procedural and it's a mystery and it's a thriller and it's a little bit of a of a tension story. You know, there's a little of the sexual tension like Mulder and Scully's action going on and uh, you know, but it's. Um,
1: so yeah. you, you had committed to 12 books without actually seeing anything that were you, were you the least bit apprehensive about that? Well,
3: I, I'm going to say up front that I, I actually knew that I was committing to six. Aha. Uh, so, okay. Um, um, no, I mean, I, I've done, I, I've done so many, I've done so many books and I've done so many series that Mm -hmm. at a certain point I'm like, well, okay. Um, You know, it's, it's just going to keep going. And that's, that's cool. Um, Some,
1: some have to be more fun though than others. Yes. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, there, there there's certainly things that I, that I click with, um, you know, more or less as a reader. Uh, Although I, I, I always have a really easy time connecting with characters as an actor, um, and I, I think that's just that's an acting thing. You know, when you have empathy for characters, you you click right in without too much difficulty. But um, there is something nice about doing doing a series where you know you're following a central set of characters. the The ones that can get a little bit tricky are um, the the linked, non contiguous series where you've got. Uh, it's extremely, extremely common in romance world where you've got two characters in this book and then their friend Tim is going to meet his partner in book two and then they'll be the main characters, but these two characters are still there. And then that, the mailman is going to meet his partner and then, you know, and it keeps going and going and going. And so 18 books later, you now have the, main, the couples from all 18 books and they walk through each other's lives like it's an episode of Friends. So, at a certain point, keeping voices fresh and unique mm-hmm. and straight gets extremely, <laughs> extremely difficult. But, of course, sci-fi has its own, its own challenges. And I, 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 will, I will, you know, I, there was a delightful sci-fi for, uh, for one of my authors that has a, a, a race of uh, reptiloid aliens that are in it. And they had a very small part in book two. And so I really went with it and gave them this fascinating voice that would be really crunchy and that was great until they were the main characters of book five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> and, well, that, that came back to bite you, didn't it, Greg? <laughs> but anyway. So, yeah, you couldn't do four and a half hours of finished audio with that voice. It was a little harder.
3: Thankfully, they were, it wasn't in a point of view narrative. It was just, you know... The, but uh, yeah, that was they weren't the main characters, but they had a lot more lines.
2: Yeah, it'd be really tough, really tough reading the narrative portion of the book in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that,
3: be- well, that that would that would turn people off. I think you, you couldn't listen yeah. to, to that much of it. But
1: now, one of the things that's exciting for us at LMBPN and for a lot of our fans is is the idea that the book and the audiobook are being released simultaneously. That's that has not been our history. Um, so. That's that's a really cool thing but the pace in which we're writing these books is rapid. We we talked about that uh, a little bit before. So I'm curious Eric where you guys are at now with Obsidian Detective and the second book Shattered Truth. I think I just got you the script for that maybe earlier in the week or late last week. I can't remember. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah, so um really that's you know back to where we do our our word count and um and then pass it off to Greg to do the hard work there. <laughs> so I hope I remembered to send that to you, Greg. You did, you did,
3: you absolutely did. And uh, I mean, they're all—you know—the the at least the the first six are all in my Google Calendar planning. Um, so they're all lined up. I've got them all—you know—broken out by the estimate of their lengths. And then as we get the actual word count on the script, then I can fine-tune the the length estimate, but I know we've already done, we did all the, the corrections for Obsidian Detective. That's back with Dreamscape. So it should be going through its final uh, cleanup and, and double checks. And um, uh, Shattered Truth, I've got the script for that. And I, uh, I am away at a convention next week. So I'll be recording it uh, cracking on as soon as I get back. And so that's, that's due back to, to Dreamscape by uh, later in the month. And then we just keep on, keep on keeping on. So, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, this is, this is very exciting for us. It's a pleasure to be working with both of you guys on this project. And it's, it's always a pleasure to, to work with talented, responsible people. And you guys are exactly that. Um, any, any final words on the series, um, Eric? The, just, just your plans for the series and, and anything going out?
2: Boy, you know, I, yeah, I'm 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 very excited for it. we in the past um, had had not done a, a lot of science fiction, and then now we're doing all these great books uh, by you, and I feel like it's um, it's a chance to kind of have have some fun. Um, I've had a chance of working with other narrators that I maybe I haven't had a whole lot of of um, a lot of a lot of chances to do that with. Uh, I think Greg, this might even be just your second our third book
3: i think it's third yeah
2: third third and a half
3: third yeah, I yeah, don't was,
2: know.
3: yeah. something like
2: that but oh, it, it we, was yeah, always oh, a yeah, pleasure. Yeah, yeah we
3: did have like a little tiny one that we threw in there somewhere but
2: yeah or a piece of yeah, yeah. a portion yeah. out of one but um one
3: one third of it yeah
2: but i love working with with you because you are so thorough you take your job very seriously you, you you're you're caring about these books you're not there are i hate to say it some narrators that are still great but they are obviously kind of sit down, read the book and then they're go, okay, now you guys deal with it. Um, so I love working with them. So when I'm, you know, initially like what Greg said, six books, I'm like, Ooh, I want to make sure it's, you know, we're working with people that are easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes, that's exciting for me. Cause then I'm doing less chasing around and where's this, where's that? We're not worrying so much about, uh, a a bazillion you know fixes um and we can just focus on cool things like you know we've been spending some time picking some really cool music to kind of go on the intros and outros of these Uh,
3: oh that's that that is fun
2: excited i always like
3: that i always
1: like that yeah have you selected the music yet
2: we did yeah we've got we've got some music for the series um
1: that's gonna be fun
2: the first one's pretty much all wrapped up now i think it's probably being um, duplicated as we speak. So, um, Yeah, another yeah, cool thing
1: I, for, for LMBPN listeners, fans of uh, LMBPN books who listen to them as audio, these will be the first books that have ever been available on as as actual audiobooks where, you know, CDs that you can put in your car and things like that. Uh, always before, yeah. it's, it's just been digital downloads for us.
2: Yeah, see, collectibles. There are certain um, audiobook consumers that just, they like like how some people want that book in their hands to read. Mm-hmm. Some people really do collect and, and like the um, the CD or the MP3 CD collections.
3: So. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to, to see them in your library too. I always yes. enjoy seeing stuff that I worked on in my library. I'm like, Oh, look, it's that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, it it's, it's, I don't know. It's great that you're willing to help us promote this series. This is such an important series for us. And, you know, we're just pleased as could be to be uh, partnering with you guys for this series.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks guys for being here.
3: All right. Thanks, Stephen.